For right now, let's take our Bibles and let's go to the New Testament book of Galatians, all right? Galatians chapter 1 this evening. Galatians chapter 1 this evening. As we're studying through this little book of the Bible together, and as you're finding your place, I do want to remind you again to keep the bird's eye view in mind of this book, all right? So please keep in mind that Paul is the human penman of this, of this letter, of this book, and he's writing around 55 to 60 A.D., addressing the churches in Galatia. Now keep in mind, Galatia is referring to a region, not necessarily just a city, okay, but a region. There are several different cities, different churches in this region of Galatia, uh, where Paul started these churches, but he's addressing all of them, all right? But he's writing for this main purpose, because there are false teachers who begin to creep into the churches and teach a false gospel. False teachers are starting to pervert the gospel of Christ, perverting the truth, which in turn is drawing away, drawing away these believers from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. They're drawing them away, the believers away from the truth. They're drawing the churches away, literally, uh, listen, uh, from, from the Lord. And so, so what Paul is doing as he sits down to write, he sits down lovingly yet very passionately and sternly to contend for the faith and to expose the error, all right? Why is he doing this? Because his motivation is this, his love for the Lord Jesus Christ, his love for the church, his love, his love for the truth, his love for the gospel. This is all of his motivation. This is why he's doing what he is doing. And he must expose the error that's creeping in to the church. Another gospel, which is not another. It's not the same. It's not the true gospel. And so he's exposing that. All right. So try to keep all this bird's eye view in mind as we study this book together. Okay. All right. Galatians chapter one, and we'll start in verse number 11. We'll just go down through the end of the chapter together. All right. Galatians chapter one, look at verse number 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. If ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by His grace, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which are apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the region of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which, was one, which once he destroyed, and they glorify God in me. Let's pray together before we dive into it, all right? Father, again, we thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, as we look at it and study it this evening, that you truly open our hearts, open our minds to it. And, Lord, help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Help me, I pray, to preach, to teach this evening, because I know, without a shadow of a doubt, without you I can do nothing. Help us to understand we love you. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. 
Now, as I read this text, it seems to me that Paul is trying to do this, all right? As he's writing to the churches of Galatia, he's trying to give the assurance of the true gospel, giving the authenticity of the true gospel. Because very interesting to me, the word he uses here in verse number 11. Look at it with me, all right? Verse number 11, the Bible says this, but I certify, I would encourage you to highlight that, circle that, underline that word, whatever you'd like to do. But he says, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. Now, this word certify here is from the Greek word gnorizo, all right? And uh, I don't know much Greek, all right? But I do a little study every now and then. But it's interesting what it means. It means to make known. It means to declare. It means to assure. Now, as I consider this word, certify, and trying to do a little diving into it, it carries the idea of this, all right? It carries the idea of a certificate of authenticity. Now, that may not mean a lot to us unless you are a collector of some kind. Anybody here collect stuff? All right. Anybody? A couple of you? Collect antiques. You collect coins. You collect cards, whatever, right? You collect things. Now, when you're a collector and you get a certification of authenticity, that thing that you've collected has value, right? It has value to it because that has been certified by someone who should know this is the real deal. It's been certified. It has, it has some authority behind it. Therefore, it has value behind it. All right. I have this this evening, I have a very valuable football. I mean, it's probably worth thousands. I know. What are you saying? What's the preacher doing with a football worth thousands of dollars? Why is it not in a case or sold by now, right? It's a very valuable, valuable football. Uh, but the football itself is not valuable because it says ESPN on it or because I bought it in the clearance aisle at Walmart, all right? But it's valuable because of the name on this football. Come here, Jordan. Can you help me out? Oh, yeah. Come on, man. All right. Now, <clears throat> there is a very special name on this football. Jordan, can you read what's that name Tom say? Tom Brady. What does it say? Tom Brady. Okay. Say it again. Tom Brady. Tom Brady. That's right. Now, do you know who Tom Brady is? He's a football player. That's right. He's a football player. Now, he, he is one of the, the best football players ever to play professional football, best quarterbacks, has the most football uh, Super Bowl rings, right? So uh, that's a pretty much the name to have on a football to be signed. Does that look like a real signature to you? Yeah. It is a real signature. You're right. You're right. Go be, you can be seated, okay? But he's, wanting to, he's, he's just telling us on this football is the name of Tom Brady. Now, with this name alone on this football, makes this football very, very, very valuable because of the name on it. How much do you think this football will be worth? Ten bucks. That's because he knew he knows where I bought it from. All right. It, this, 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 with this name on this football, how much do you think it would be worth? So I'm going to take a guess. 500? 1,200? 10,000, maybe? I don't know. It's got his name on it. 
but it's got his name on it. What? I don't understand. <laughs> is it real? Is that what you're asking? Is it, it's a real signature. It really is. Somebody did write that on there. I promise. Let's not get too deep in our asking our questions, okay? Now, if this is a real signature, it would probably be worth, well, thousands, all right? But when you look at this signature, if you look at it, you would look at it and say, good night, I think a five-year-old signed it. Well, most signatures look like a five-year-old signed, signed these signatures. But let me ask you this. What if I had a letter of authenticity or certificate of authenticity that said this is his legit real signature then then how much you think it was worth no telling it'd be worth whatever whoever want to pay for it right take it to auction somebody that's a big football fan especially a big tom brady fan he and he was if he's well to do he'd pay whatever he had to do to get it right whatever he wanted to pay as long as i had that certificate of authenticity to make sure this is a real signature by the tom brady right because that gives him the assurance that he can spend as much money as he wants to on it. Why? Because it's the real deal. Because this has been certified. And in case you're wondering, I wrote that, okay? And no, I'm not trying to sell it as a real Tom Brady football. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, get uh, sued and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, but what I was trying to tell you is this. If that was real, if it had a, a certificate of authenticity, if that was certified, that would have a lot of value to it. What Paul is trying to do here in Galatians, as he is saying, look, I certify you, he is trying to let them know, look, there's a lot of value behind what I'm trying to tell you of the true gospel, and here is why. Number one, number one. He is going to point to his past and show them, here's why this is the true gospel that I am preaching to you because of my credentials. And he points to this. Number one, he points to his old life. He points to his old life. Look at verse 13 again. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion. Now, be reminded when it says conversation, he's not just talking about his speech. He's talking about his manner of life, how he lived, all right, his old life, all right. You have heard of my conversation time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond a measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in Jews' religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Now it would seem, it would seem that uh, uh, the church of Galatia, uh, they already knew about his old life. They already knew about his past. They already knew what he used to be because of the phrase he uses here, ye have heard. Yet, he was going to remind them once again of what he once was. He says this, I was a persecutor of the church. Now, the word persecuted here, it can carry a, a varying of degree in different types of persecutions. Many people use that in different types of persecutions today. But in a general sense, here's what the word persecuted means. It means to make to run. It means to put to flight. It means to drive away. And this is exactly what Saul of Tarsus did before he became Paul the Apostle. He would drive out Christians, drive them out from their homes, Drive them out from their families, ultimately trying to drive them out 
of Jerusalem. They didn't want this new religion, these new Christians, these new people of the way in their way of their Jewish religion, right? They're trying to drive them out. He would cause them to go on the run. And, of course, he would use different methods, different means uh, to accomplish this goal, to get rid of these believers. He would do this. He would put them in prison. The Bible says this in Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 2. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, this way is what they would typically call the believers, call the disciples until they were first called Christians in Antioch, but found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them, here it is, bound to Jerusalem. So he would bring them to prison. He would haul them off to jail. Here's, the, here's something else he would do. Paul would also beat the believers. The Bible says in Acts twenty two nineteen, and he, or I'm sorry, and I said, that's Paul, and I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. So he'd haul people off to jail. He would beat people in the synagogues. He'd also do this. He'd have it even put to death. The Bible says in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, And Saul was consenting unto his, at Stephen's death, unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea, Samaria except the apostles. Understand Paul, he had many different methods to get, uh, bring about the persecution that he would bring about to the church. But be reminded, Paul was not just your run-of-the-mill persecutor, not just any old persecutor. He, he was the most feared and fierced persecutor at this time. He was brutal in his dealings. With the believers. Notice some of the words he uses here in our text. Look at verse 13 again when he says this You have heard of my conversation, time past, in the Jews' religion. Here it is how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God. Beyond measure, meaning what Paul did, it could not be compared to anyone else. Understand if there was a trophy being given to the best persecutor in Jerusalem, Paul would have won uh, first place in all categories, all right? Beyond measure, more than anybody else, he persecuted the church. He was the arch persecutor. Uh, no one could persecute these Christians like Paul could. So it's no wonder when Paul went to the high priest to, to ask permission or have letters from him by his own hand, uh, no wonder he, he willingly and readily gave those letters to Paul quickly. Why? Because Paul, he is the number one hitman persecutor for the Jews in Jerusalem. He persecuted these people beyond measure. This is who he was. This is who he was. He was, he was horrendous in his dealings with believers and with Christians. Then look at what else he says in verse 13. Not only did he say that he persecuted beyond measure, but he also said this in verse 13, and wasted it. He wasted it. Wasted the church. Wasted it. Now this word here means to ruin. It means to devastate. Let me ask you a question. When you think of the word devastate, devastation, what comes to your mind? Someone tell me. What comes to your mind when you hear the word devastation? What hurricanes do? Katrina? What else? I heard something over here. War? Absolutely. Tornado? Earthquakes? All these natural disasters, right, we think of. That's what I think of. The natural disasters, 
I think of Katrina. I think of when we went down to Har after Harvey, Hurricane Harvey down in uh, Houston, Texas, and seen all the devastation that it brought. That's what I think of when I think of devastation. And no doubt we've seen the pictures, we've seen the videos of the natural uh, devastation that's taken place with the hurricanes, with the floods, with the tornadoes, with tsunamis, all that kind of things, and even with war. We have seen the, the pictures, we have seen the videos of all of these, of all of these things. Uh, but, and as we see them, what's really heartbreaking is this. In those pictures and those videos, you see people left to fend for themselves. You see them picking up the pieces of what used to be their home or what used to be their lives. And sometimes you see people just abandoning it altogether and relocating completely, letting somebody else clean up the mess. But it's just an absolute devastation, absolute disaster of what took place. This is the kind of picture that Paul is painting when he said, I wasted it. I was the one that would bring great disaster and devastation Upon the church, just as sad as it would see the pictures today of devastation from natural, uh, natural things, it is just as equally, if not more so, sad to see the devastation that Paul would have caused against the church of Jesus Christ. Look, there's no telling how many families, because of what Paul did, had to relocate. There's no telling how many people were left to pick up the pieces of their, once, of their lives that had been destroyed by Paul, or even their homes that had been destroyed by Paul. How many women and children were left to fend for themselves as the men of the home were hauled off to prison, hauled off to jail, or even hauled off to be killed. There's no telling how many Christians were affected because of the persecution of Paul. So it's no wonder Paul was a big advocate to help the poor saints in Jerusalem, the Bible says this in Romans chapter 15, verse 25 through 26. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. And maybe it was those very poor saints that he was used to make them that way, right? Could be. It could be. All I'm trying to tell you is this evening is this, that Saul of Tarshish, in his past, his old life, he was a bad dude. He was highly feared among the church in the very beginning. It's hard to paint a vivid picture of just how cruel he really was. But something happened in his life. Something happened to this once feared persecutor. Because now as we come to the book of Galatians, we see him writing writing as the Apostle Paul, not as the feared Saul, but the Apostle Paul writing to the churches of Galatia. He's not the same person. He's not the same person at all. He is 100% completely different. So take note of his old life, and then take note of this, all right? Number two, and lastly, aren't you glad I have only two points tonight? Don't say amen. Okay, anyway. But lastly, number two, I want you to see this. Not only Paul's old life, Number two, see this, Paul's new life. Look at verse 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately, immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. 
Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the region of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face in the church of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which was once destroyed. And they glorified God in me. Completely different from those previous two verses we read about Paul. Completely different. Now a very wonderful thing happened in Paul's life when, when this happened. When he had an encounter with the resurrected Savior on the road to Damascus. Can you read more about that? In Acts chapter number 9, when he had that encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it was then and there that he was saved by grace there in Acts chapter number 9. But this, this conversion, this salvation, understand it changed his life completely. And even in a text he said, immediately. It changed his life immediately. You see, he went from Saul, the persecutor, to Paul, the preacher. He went from Saul, the church waster, to Paul, the church planter. He went from beating Christians in a synagogue to immediately preaching Christ in the synagogues. Acts chapter number 9, verse 20 and 21. I mean, everything changed for this man. Everything. A big 180, complete about face, changed in this man's life. And this change was absolutely 100% undeniable. Undeniable by the Jews that he once ran with and knew. And undeniable by the believers who feared him as well. And I want to stop here just for a moment and say this. There are many things folks will try to deny and explain away. They'll try to deny the truth, try to deny the Bible, try to explain away the miracles of Christ and different things like that. They'll try to, they'll try to deny the Lord, try to explain away the gospel. There's one thing they cannot deny and they cannot explain away, and it is this, the very power of a changed life. I'm telling you right now, they can't deny that. And I'm not talking about turning over a new leaf. I'm not talking about turning a new page. I'm talking about a complete, miraculous change in the life of a sinner where a drug addict goes sober, immediately where a drunk goes sober immediately i'm talking about where spouses were absolutely horrendous to live with are such a joy and blessing to be with i'm talking about parents who are just absolutely ridicule their kids and just horrendous to their children to the, the sweetest parents anyone could ever want in their life why because something changed in their life and it wasn't a, a, a three-step program. It wasn't a self-help program. Listen, it was the mighty power of the gospel that changed their life immediately. Changed him 100%. 180 changed him. The Bible says this. After a person gets born again, they are a new creature in Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new. And this is exactly what happened to Saul of Tarsus. When he got saved, he became a new creature, a new creation in Christ. And this change could not be denied. It couldn't be denied. Yet this change, it didn't come from the Jews' religion. It didn't come from being Jewish. But remember, that's what the Judaizers were trying to do, bring in their... Jewish tradition to tie that in to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the Judaizers were doing, the church of Galatia. Remember that, right? That's what they're trying to do. 
But it didn't come from the Jews' religion. That change didn't come. On the contrary, it was the very Jews, according to their zeal and their religion, that encouraged, that encouraged Saul in his program of persecution. They encouraged him to do that. They, they wanted him to do that. This change of Saul, listen, would have been an embarrassment to the Jews and to the Pharisees and to the Hebrews of the Hebrews. It had been an embarrassment to them. It didn't come from that. It didn't come from that. It wasn't even, didn't even come from the other Christians, all right? No doubt these other believers, the Christians, truly prayed for him. Surely they did. But remember, these folks wanted nothing to do with Saul of Tarshish. They were scared to death. Of him. Even Ananias said this in Acts chapter number 9 after the Lord had appeared to him in a vision and told him, Hey, look, there's one Saul of Tarshish that's going to, that's going, that you're going to need to go speak to. Here's what Ananias said. Acts chapter number 9, verse 13 through 14. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man. Like, Lord, there's a lot of people talking. <laughs> Everybody's talking about Saul of Tarshish. I've heard by many of this man. How much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. Meaning, here, here's the interpretation of this. All right, you ready? Ananias is saying, in his Christianese way, Lord, I don't want to do it. All right, please find somebody else. He is a bad dude. I don't want to go talk to him. And even after Paul was saved, even the disciples, the believers, question his true salvation, all right? Acts chapter 9, verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed, he, he wanted to, he really was urging, trying to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. So this change, this immediate change, 180 degree change that happened in, in Saul's life, it didn't come from the Jews' religion. It didn't come from the other Christians. If the change didn't come from the Jews or the Christians, then where did it come from? Verse 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. This change that happened in his life came from God. Understand, no matter how you look at it, this conversion of Paul was a spiritual miracle. And anytime, anytime someone gets born again, gets saved, listen, it's a miracle. It really is. It's wonderful. It's a miracle. But it's humanly impossible for Rabbi Saul to become the Apostle Paul apart from the miracle of God's grace. He's He's pointing back to the Lord, pointing back to God, pointing back to Jesus as he changed his life. Remember, that's what this whole book is doing. It's bringing us back to Christ, back to the simplicity of the gospel, back to God himself. But it was God who saved Paul that also, also gave him, gave Paul the very message of the gospel. It would be this same message that Paul would preach to these Galatian people that would change their lives as well. So he's saying, look, you, you know who I, who I was. You, you know what I did. You know how bad of a persecutor I was to these people, to, to, the, to the believers, to Christians. You know who I was. But God saved me, changed my life. And the very God that saved me is the same God that gave me the message, the true gospel that I've preached unto you. Look at it again. Uh, verse number uh, 17. 
Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. He's saying, look, I didn't go to Jerusalem after I got saved. I didn't go to Jerusalem to their um, apostleship school. I didn't go to their, their local Bible college, all right? He said, I didn't go back up to Jerusalem for that. Immediately, he said, I didn't do that first thing. He says this, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then, after three years, after three years in what? There in Arabia. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. It's interesting. The, the disciples, they, they walked with the Lord how many years? Three years. How many years was, was Paul in Arabia, just him and God? Three years. Where did he get the message of the gospel? It wasn't from the other apostles. It wasn't from the uh, school where they had one, probably didn't at the moment, in Jerusalem. It wasn't from there. No, he got it directly from God himself as he was spending time with the Lord. All right, look at it with me again. Uh, verse 19. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 18. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the, the Lord's brother. So only two of the apostles, other apostles he saw. In verse number 20. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and, C and Cilicia, and was unknown by face in the church of Judea, which were in Christ, they heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which was once destroyed, once, which once he destroyed, and they glorify God in me. He is just simply writing out a, 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 certificate, a, a certification of authenticity. That's not how you say it. <laughs> anyway, you know what I'm trying to say. He's just simply writing all that out. Say, look, here's what I used to be. God saved me, changed my life. It was the Lord. I didn't, uh, it wasn't the Jews' religion that changed me. It wasn't other Christians that changed me. It was, it was God himself completely changed me. And you guys know this. And by the way, it's that same God that gave me this message, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I didn't learn it from the other apostles. I didn't learn it from anybody else but the Lord himself. And I'm giving you the true gospel of Jesus Christ. These other Judaizers that are, that are creeping in, they're, they're, not, they're not giving you the, the, the truth. But Paul is. And the points of this authenticity he's trying to prove to them is this. His conversion gave authenticity, gave certainty to the message. The life-changing gospel message. And this message... Came from the lips of Paul, yes, but it was given by God himself. So therefore, the gospel is God's message and not man's. That's what he's just getting at. This is God's message. I didn't make it up. I didn't come up with it. God's message. It's God's gospel. And man has no right to tamper with it whatsoever. And that's why you can go back to the last message when he made that big announcement. He said, if anybody, well, look at it with me again tonight, all right? Look at verse number 8. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed, anathema. And he says it again in verse number 9. He's saying, look, this message, the gospel, it's God's message. And no man has the right to tamper with it, to touch it. The only thing they need to do is proclaim it, just as Paul did to the Galatian believers. So he's just giving them the whole certification, all right, of the gospel message, how it came from God and not from man. And so what we need to do is get a good, fresh glimpse of the gospel again, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and tell somebody about it. And that's exactly what Paul was doing. 
giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God help us do the same.